electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Reasons to worry about the biggest tech stocks. Is growth slipping and our investments in AI just masking the problem? It's Monday, November 6th. Welcome to the Tech Check Podcast. I'm Deirdre Bosa. And I'm Mark Gilbert. The seven biggest tech stocks are now down an average of 9% from their 52-week highs. And today, we're focusing on their outlook for growth next year. D, it's not great. No, and you know we're coming off the best week for the NASDAQ in a year. So it makes right. you feel like you've come out of earnings season and everything's intact. But profitability, it certainly was. That beat street expectations. But there was another theme that might have been overlooked of last few weeks in these mega cap earnings, and that is the failure of future guidance. And this is really what makes the markets go. So there was Tesla. Elon Musk throwing cold water on expectations there. There was Meta warning of an uncertain outlook for 2024. Google's cloud growth missed expectations. And both Amazon and Apple gave muted holiday guidance. And I would say certainly Amazon flew under the radar. But and I mentioned this when it did report a few weeks ago, Mark, is that it was less than what the street expected, which may say something about the competitive landscape. But you take all the earnings we've got from mega caps so far, maybe save Microsoft. There is some concern about the months, the year ahead of us. Right. And that's sort of the distinction here is that the current quarter numbers were mostly were mostly not bad. And, and I, I would even describe as strong. But the outlook for some of these companies, you know, it's still higher than the outlook for the average company, right? If you look at if, if you look at their growth rates, it's still a lot of them are in the double digits. Exactly. But, but they're not high historically. And then the other thing I would say, which I'm always remind of, reminded of by some of our best guests, is valuation matters. You're paying a premium for them. So that also right. plays into this. Right. And when growth starts to slip, it's why are you paying these huge premium for, for these stocks? Um, and, and, and there's also this sort of fascinating dynamic, which is the other thing that we're looking at today, which is happening at the biggest companies that may be masking some of these top line problems. Right. And we're talking about the big cloud players here, the hyperscalers. And this is always such an important theme because for Amazon, it's a profit engine. For Microsoft, it's really everything here because PCs have been sort of in decline. And Google, right? It's what they're putting all their chips on. They want to grow. They're putting a ton of investment in cloud. So how these units are doing at these companies is really important. And at the same time, they're pouring a ton of money, billions and billions of dollars into artificial intelligence startups, names like OpenAI and Anthropic, the darlings of the gen AI world. So by doing right. so, the tech giants are creating this kind of virtuous cycle. They invest money into these startups, but then it comes back to them in the form of sales because they can charge the startups, OpenAI, Anthrop Anthropic, a similar amount to actually use their cloud platforms. Right. So in and a this way, has been, funding their this, biggest customers. They're the biggest. Right. We don't know. They exactly. could be their biggest customers. There's a lot of different ways to sort of phrase, right? To to sort of 
look at that relationship. And there's, I think NVIDIA is a really good example as well, which actually makes the the chips, the, the semiconductors. NVIDIA gives a startup billions of dollars, invests you know, billions of dollars. That cash goes out the door to an AI startup. And then that AI startup just turns around and gives the money right back to NVIDIA and spends it on chips. So it's basically, you know, NVIDIA is is buying customers uh, and using earnings to then go back and, and, you know, funnel back into sales. Using these super strong balance sheets, right? What else right. are they going to do with these enormous piles of cash on their balance sheets, right? Because we know that the regulatory environment right now has been sort of cracking down on big tech. I don't think that Lena Khan at the FTC or Jonathan Cantor at the DOJ is going to just quietly allow these companies to make acquisitions in the generative AI space. So instead, they're doing these strategic investments, essentially handing these startups billions of dollars in investment. But what do they need investment for? Compute power. So it all circles right. around. Let's go back to Amazon's announcement around its anthropic investment. At the very top I think that of that was a good press example. release, yeah. exactly, there was the heading, the title of it that was about generative AI. And then the first line after that, Amazon writes, Anthropic selects AWS, that's Amazon Web Services, the cloud unit, as its primary cloud provider. So what that tells me is that this deal is just as much about Amazon getting the compute dollars for AWS on the back end as it is about them giving their customers access to new AI tools. Because remember, too, that Amazon has long argued that what it's building through Bedrock, um, through other AI initiatives is as good or you know better than some of the stuff that's already out there. Right. The and and take, this isn't just uh, just an Amazon issue, right? Because this is uh, this is happening with Google as well. Right. And this creates kind of interesting dynamics because the OpenAI Microsoft deal sort of gave Microsoft an exclusive partnership. But Anthropic is the other generative AI darling that's spreading out these investments. So it's caught between Amazon and Google. It'll be interesting to see if at some point they have to decide. So tell us about that deal. Right. So, so Google gives, you know, $2 billion to Anthropic to become a significant uh, uh, investor. And that's, you know, just comes months after Anthropic agreed to spend more than $3 billion on Google Cloud. So the money is just moving in, in both directions here. It's not just, you know, these big tech giants sort of, um, which I felt like maybe was like Web Web 2.0 was rolling it, you know, giving money to startups as sort of a lottery ticket. You know, yeah. maybe they'll be successful and it'll help us out in the long term. These are these are large established companies that they're giving money to, and then the money is flowing right back to them. And in this way, big tech really becomes the the biggest backers and the most direct beneficiaries. It's sort of a win win. Yeah, they get more top line growth, right? Which is what we've been talking about. Or let's talk about the other scenario. Their stakes in the startup become more valuable if the startups themselves take off. There's another side to this too. Why do OpenAI and Anthropic want Amazon, Microsoft, Google money? Yes, because they can then get the compute power, but then they also get access to all of these enterprises, all of their existing cloud customers. So it makes them more likely to succeed. So this is very good news for mega cap investors. I think the journal called it a masterstroke. They interviewed someone who said that this was a masterstroke, and I could not find a better word to describe this. Less and as so, you've seen over the last, you know, three years, uh, it's been great for mega cap performance, right? I mean, they've they've just they've led the market exactly. And when you bring up the example of Nvidia too, right? I mean, the Magnificent Seven, totally. In some way, they're all tied to this generative AI promise, and that's why they've led the market, you know, more than ever this year. 
the other side of this though, there's a side that will lose out on this. One party are the VCs, right? The venture capitals are typically the ones who get in earliest and benefit from valuations going higher and higher over time. They're trying to get an early piece of the generative AI pie. But in this case, you know, Google, Amazon, Microsoft are coming in and just bidding up those valuations to such an extreme amount that we've talked about in the past, Gilbert, our weekly as well. You got to go back and check that out. Right. But just how astronomical these valuations are. What was it? 86, 90 billion dollars for open AI. And I think Anthropic is in the midst of a round two that's going to value it at, you know, many times its last its last valuation. Right. I think that it's 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 interesting to see that, you know, as we, we talk about some of the effects of ZERP of the, you know, zero interest rate phenomenon. And I think that um that this is sort of like an uh, an end conclusion of that, where money was so f- so free flowing that these companies, it's like, oh, well, it's not just enough that you give me billions of dollars. Now I want access to, um, now I want mm-hmm. access to all this compute compute power. I want access to this cloud, um, you know, space that you have, or I want access to these enterprise customers as well as the dollars. Right, and who's got the money? It's the big tech giants who are sitting on these huge piles of cash, not necessarily the VCs who have to go out in this higher interest rate environment and raise new funds. That's a harder proposition than the big tech giants who already have all this cash on their balance sheet to spend, and which, by the way, is collecting more interest income. Now, the other party, go ahead, yeah. I, I also, you know, I wonder, um, and I wonder if if you really got them to speak candidly. I don't really think they can because you're talking about their biggest investors. But I wonder if you went and talked to someone at Anthropic, do they feel a little bit like, uh, you know, like it's like the mafia, where they feel <laughs> a little bit like their hands are tied, that they're 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 getting these big checks from Amazon and Google, and then they feel a little bit hamstrung. It's like, hey, but you got to come back and spend it with us. Or are they happy? Are they happy to spend it with? with Google and, and Amazon, because those are the biggest, you know, most successful yeah. cloud giants. Where else are you going to go? I guess if you need a hyperscale, right. you need the amount of compute power. But I have little doubt that this is all part of the deal. We're going to give you this money as long as you spend some of it in our cloud. I just, you know, I wonder if there's some engineer who's like, hey, guys, there's this great Microsoft product. And they're like, no, <laughs> whoa, 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 you know? Yeah, can't do that. But again, Not on this- our team. We've heard sort of rumblings that NVIDIA is trying to get into cloud services and infrastructure. And what do they have to play with? Um, If not necessarily billions of dollars in cash, they have their chips, the GPUs, that cost so much money that they can maybe offer these companies. So be interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, But for startups that are not OpenAI or anthropic or hugging face or some of these huge generative AI companies, it's really tough for them, right? Because they're maybe they maybe have to raise money from VCs, but they're not going to get perhaps as much as you would from an Amazon or Google. Um, so on Friday, Gilbert, I don't know if you heard about this, but FTC chair Lena Khan, she was on this listening tour of Silicon Valley in San Francisco. She was at right. Stanford. She was at a few different events um, last week. And I went to go see her. She was speaking at y- at the Y Combinator headquarters in San Francisco. And it was such an interesting crowd, right? Because you had a lot of Y Combinator companies and founders in the room. They were curious as to what she had to say. And Gary Tan, the CEO of Y Combinator, he conducted the interview. And I thought he did a really good job. And he opened it up by saying, you know, he was getting all these messages ahead of Lena Khan coming to Y Combinator saying, don't you know she hates tech? And he was like, no, no, she hates big tech. 
she's sort of supposed to be a friend <laughs> to small tech. And so, you know, on that vein, one of the founders in the room asked her if she was looking at the structure of these deals, the ones we've just been talking about, the huge investment from big tech into generative AI startups, because the founder said it could essentially set up big tech to dominate and squeeze out the little guys, what we've been talking about. So she didn't say she was doing anything about it. She said she was thinking about it. And I had the chance to ask her, what are you going to bring back to DC? Is there anything that has changed the way you're thinking about this landscape? You know, later on, she said this is why she was here, to hear from the little guys, to hear from the startups that may be getting squeezed out right now. So when we talk about sort of these incentives and the virtuous cycle or circular, you know, way of doing business right now that's happening in generative AI, it's not unfathomable that this is something regulators could take a look at in the future. Right. And I thought, you know, you mentioned the FTC, right? And that's about, you know, antitrust and monopoly power. Um, I thought you highlighted this morning a great quote from Bill Gurley in the Wall Street Journal. Bill Gurley, obviously a prominent VC benchmark, you know, big history at Uber. Uh, so this this was the quote, and this is sort of a shocking quote. Use, uh, using your balance sheet to potentially artificially inflate revenue is an area of concern for auditors. It's something that deserves scrutiny. So that's, that's not talking about... Um, you know, that's not talking about the FTC. That's saying that maybe the SEC, maybe FINRA, you know, wow. needs to get involved. Um, and that, you know, if these companies are buying sales, that's a pretty uh, basic, uh, you know, accounting um, fraud. And I don't think I don't think anything, anyone is accusing them of that. This is pretty straightforward. You know, they're being very open about what they're doing here. They're yeah. giving money to their potential customers in terms of as way of investment. But it is basically the same thing. And let's remember that Bill Gurley has a huge incentive to say something like this, right? VCs who he represents are sort of on the back foot. They can't get into these deals. So it makes sense right. that he would raise something like this. That is an interesting point, but perhaps more to the average investor, right? Where we started this conversation, it's worth questioning whether these investments and therefore the cloud usage these companies are paying for has been you know, making cloud revenue look a little better than it might otherwise look. And when we think about the future trajectory for these companies, their growth rates, if their stock prices are going to go up, they're going to have to have the earnings and revenue growth to show for it. You have to wonder, um, is some of that being masked by AI compute power that and basically money <laughs> they've invested in these companies coming back in the door in a different form? Right. It can't be one to one, right? If a if billion dollars goes out the door, it can't just be that you're getting a billion dollars back in sales. The, the hope is, and that's basically, uh, you know, Microsoft has been able to do this, right? Which is that a billion dollars goes, or many, much more than a billion dollars, goes out the door to open AI, and then it supercharges their products and they're able to, to actually mm -hmm. offer a differentiated service. And so it's not just one to one dollars in, dollars out, you know? Last point there. <laughs> A lot of that money is going to commercial real estate here in San Francisco. This is another topic we'll have to dive in another time. But OpenAI, AI, Anthropic, using at least some of those investments to build up office space. And, you know, it's something that people here in San Francisco are talking a lot about, questioning, oh, maybe we're back in a sense. Um, but we'll see. The other thing we're watching, Gilbert, Uber earnings. Yeah, should we still do it? Uber. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, so Uber earnings on deck tomorrow before the bell. What do you think? It's been a strong few quarters in a row, but Dara Khazrashahi has not raised the uh, the earnings forecast. Yeah. So so here's what I think about Uber. I go back big picture because I've been covering this company 
for so long. First company, actually, I think I really started covering when I moved to San Francisco seven or eight years ago now. It's always, not always, as I got closer to the IPO, flipped quickly to be a story about profitability. So ever since it's been a public company since 2019, the whole thing has been profitability. First, Uber, first they had to prove that they could get profitable on a unit economics basis, a metric that I absolutely hate, adjusted EBITDA, all of that. I think that um, they're useless, but Uber did get to net income, gap profitability, profitability. last quarter. Yeah. Now, a lot of that was the unrealized gains from their equity stakes in different companies. Like, what are they again? There's Aurora, there's Grab. Um, we've, we've said before that Uber kind of looks like a conglomerate for for ride-hailing companies or delivery companies. Right, it's, it's Didi, it's Grab, it's Aurora, it's Joby, and it's Lime. Right, thank you for that. So um, if you looked at that last quarter, it was like you know, without those investments, it would have been $10 million gap profitability, something like that. So just, just barely. But the reason this is important is because a lot of folks on Wall Street are now talking about Uber's inclusion to the S&P 500, which feels like an inevitability, especially if it can get um, that net income up little by little. And that would be a big deal for the company. Um, you know, a number of years it would be a big win for Dara Khosrow Shahi as well, the guy that came in that made Uber, you know, his he'll he'll say he made Uber more profitable than it did. But I will say low quality. Made it into, like, a mature business. Yes, Wall mature. Street. Exactly. Yeah. Um but here's another thing that could be interesting to watch is the return of price wars. I will say oh, so I was that, gonna say, right? It's this thing that could impact profitability and could impact the bottom line if they have to start fiddling with um, you know, driver incentives and and customer incentives. But again, Uber made this big bet on food delivery and that has been, you know, a good source of growth for them. And we just got DoorDash's um, earnings. Right. And DoorDash was strong. So he's also been able to diversify the business, which has been great. And also, they also have this regulatory question taken out. There was a settlement last week um, where essentially New York regulators said that Uber and Lyft had to pay this big fine for keeping driver's earnings away. However, the most important part of that settlement was that it's not reclassifying Uber and Lyft drivers. They remain independent contractors, and that's what keeps the business model intact. If they were to be considered employees, the whole thing falls apart. And that's kind of where Uber is, right? There's all of these regulatory headwinds. It's getting more profitable, but where is it sort of in the future? What happens to regulation ultimately? They're fighting all of these battles, and they've had some good wins, but you know what happens going forward? Right. And the stock price still just a dollar or two above its IPO price. Meanwhile, because you brought up Lyft, I just think it's always interesting to go back that Lyft, it's going to be really interesting to see what the new CEO does. Um, but that company is now a $4 billion you know, market cap, has done nothing since its IPO is down. I don't even know what, 80, 90% since its IPO has just sort of fallen apart as a, as a Wall Street story. And which remains, you know, the question I always ask about these companies, are they utilities or are they tech companies? And I think the more we see from them, they could be, utilities can be great, but maybe that's what they are. They're less disruptive than that initial promise, especially, you know, when Uber, both Uber and Lyft were looking at autonomous driving. Remember, Travis Kalanick said that it was existential for the business. Um, so maybe they get to those better measures of profitability and the markets are happy with that. And we don't see them, you know, become these giant mega caps ever, but they're solid, mature companies. Totally. Um, 
Don't forget to check out our weekly piece. We published it on Friday, retweeted it out today on sort of speaking of promises coming back down to earth. We took a look at the electric (laughs) vehicle and again, how, how there's some hurdles there. So check that out and we'll see you back here tomorrow. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well, then you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard.